So I'm excited to share with you on the topic of going faith, or go faith, or faith to go, however you want to phrase it, however you want to manipulate those words. So uh, Pastor Scott, he took off and he asked me to come here and to recruit you to go to Afghanistan, to the border of Ukraine and Russia, and to some of the hardest places on earth. Does that sound like a good idea? Oh yeah, I heard everyone groan. But unfortunately for us, we don't always have that uh, opportunity to make decisions where God will send us or what he will want us to do or where we should go. So today we're going to talk about what it means to go in faith, how to respond to the Lord. And when he asks us to do something specific or challenges us to go even to somewhere uncomfortable, what do we do and how do we process that? As we look around the world, we can see that there's some really difficult times that we are facing. And uh, I won't spend much time on that today, but it is something for you to keep in the back of your mind as you ponder how we should respond to the Lord in faith when he asks us to do something specific. So as we look at the faith to go, I want to ask you first a couple different questions. First, what does it mean to go? Second, What will it take for you to go? And the last one is, will you go? Now, these are questions that I want you to keep also in the back of your mind as we look through scripture today and discuss this idea of faith. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on faith as opposed to the go, because many of us are afraid to say yes to God Because going means that we need to move from one place to another to transition from one comfort zone to something that may be perhaps even unknown. Now, I want to introduce to you my team real quickly that is here with us today. Uh, Most importantly to me is my wife, Anna. You could stand up and do the... You promised in the meeting, the elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. Okay, thank you. And then my two boys that are with us today, Judah and Amos. And then I'd also love to introduce to you, uh, Vili and Lindy Bomer. And now you can, if you can't pronounce a V as in Vili or Wilhelm, then you can just say Willie, but he doesn't like that. So either one, you know, if you're a sarcastic kind of person, you... Uh, either way, but uh, he's from South Africa. She's from uh, the nation of Oregon and uh, both (laughs) together make a wonderful couple. And we're so grateful that they're part of our team and they have sitting with them, their son, Jesse, and their other son, Declan is in the the children's church or whatever's going on over there. (laughs) After service, if you want to speak with any of us about Joshua Nations or what's going on, we'll be back here. Uh, We'd love to share with you what's going on a little bit more in detail. Because of your prayer and support, the ministry of Joshua Nations has been able to go into 71 nations to take the good news of Jesus Christ and discipleship materials training, church plant training to some of the hardest and most difficult places. And sometimes that does mean those who are escaping uh, difficult times, who are escaping war, who are escaping persecution, who are dealing with some of the most horrible atrocities that the world has to offer. And it's through your prayer and support that we've been able to minister to many of those. In fact, right now we're working with one of our uh, close ministry partners who oversees the nation of Ukraine and Belarus to mobilize resources to bless those who are escaping war. 
If you look at the news right now, you'll see that uh, Ukraine is battling Russia. Um, And those who are being displaced are not entire families. In fact, it's women and children because the men are uh, being compelled to take up arms and to defend their nation. And so there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions now who are on the run, primarily women and children who are moving uh, south and also to the west. And so we're grateful that we're able to partner with those who we've served with for about 20 years so that we can send financial aid to the churches who are there serving those women and children who are escaping uh, the war and trying to you know, take care of themselves and protect their lives. So would you pray with us that uh, we'd be able to continue to do that? And, and we haven't made any kind of like public announcement yet, but uh, we'll be uh, asking for prayer and support this coming week so that we can help minister to those. Now, as we go and do those things, a lot of times when we sit down in a church service like this, uh, we have wonderful music, we learn some Cajun, some French, or whatever language that gumbo was, she was speaking, you know, boudin, gumbo, and jambalaya, that's it, all I know, and that tastes horrible, it's like eating dirt. So let me encourage you, don't eat that stuff. Are you throwing stuff at me yet? No? My parents live on the Gulf Coast, and every time I go down there, they say, let's go get some Cajun food. I'm like, oh, no, let's not do that. I ate enough dirt when I was a a little child. Uh I don't want to continue to do that as an adult. But when we sit in these comfortable chairs, we think, you know, it's good for me just to pray and to send those crazy people like Jason or Billy or those others who will go do those things. In fact, one of my friends is discussing the possibility of flying into Poland and to traveling by car to take money across the border into Ukraine because all of the banks and the financial institutions are basically frozen in that region. And you can say, oh man, that sounds great. Let me just help them. But what happens when God says, I want you to do something wild and crazy for me? What do you do on the inside? Do you cringe? Do you say, no, I don't think so, Lord. I think I would rather just write an extra check or put an extra zero at the end of that number on my check. And just for you as uh, those who give, and we're so grateful, make sure that zero goes on the left side of the decimal point, okay? (laughs) So what does it take to get to a yes? What does it take for you to align yourself with Scripture and implement what you've been learning as your pastor and teachers have been encouraging you to stretch your faith and to do something new, wild, or crazy for God. What will it take for you to take a step out of your comfort zone, whether that's coming to church on a consistent basis, whether it's extending the love of Christ just to your neighbors, whether it's going across the the street, going out of your way, ministering a smile to someone while you're pumping your own gas? What will it take for you just to change your attitude and your receptivity to say yes to God, even in the little things that he may ask you to do? I remember when uh, we were at Bible school and my wife and I, we met there as well as uh, Billy and Lindy. We were all there together. And I remember one time during a worship service, kind of like this, uh, the Lord told me to go across the room and and to put my arm around this guy and just tell him that I love him. Now, don't misinterpret. Now we have these gender things that this world can't seem to figure out. It was God telling me to tell this man that God loved him. 
And I said, Lord, we're at Bible school. We're, we're like worshiping. We're studying the Bible all day. Don't you think he already knows that you love him? And, and God said, no, I want you to go do this. And so I kind of argued with him for a little while. And finally, it was like the Lord was silent. And I said, okay, fine. So I march across the room and this guy was huge. Now I'm a big guy, but I couldn't get my arm around him. He was like four feet wide. He probably weighed 400 pounds. And so I just walked over to him. And this is kind of weird in the middle of singing songs, worshiping the Lord, put my arm around him as far as I could go. And I said, God want me to tell you that he loves you. And the guy began to shake and to weep. And then he like got down on his knees and he was weeping. And I was like, wow, that was weird. So I walked back across the room to where I was sitting. And God said, would you just be obedient when I tell you to be obedient? I said, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. I don't know what was going on in that man's life. And I don't know what happened with him afterwards, whether he continued on and ended up in ministry, or if it was just for a, a pivotal moment that God needed to speak something to him directly. But there's so many times where we hear that, that nudging of the Holy Spirit, whether it's a whisper in our ear or something inside of us that begins to bubble up. And he's saying, I just want you to do this. It's just a little thing. Would you just smile at that person who just cuts you off and is raising their fist at you? I was driving yesterday. I was up in Broomfield. I was taking a friend to a, 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 another church that had a conference and I dropped him off. And as I was driving back and this guy just like came up right beside me and kept like coming over like he was going to hit me. And then he pulled up beside me and started sneering at me. I just smiled at him. It's like, I wasn't going too slow. I wasn't going too fast. But many of us would have this, this unction on the inside to kind of raise our fist or raise a finger or something, right? Oh, no, you wouldn't do that. Novation Church wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> Was that you? <laughs> I just smiled at him, and I just kept on going. I was like, I don't know what that guy's deal is, but he needed a smile. And it wasn't one of those sneering smiles like sarcasm. Like, I just smiled at him and kept on going. Sometimes God just wants you to do these little things to say yes to him so that you can move forward, not only in your own life and obedience, sometimes it's to take you on a path, but other times it's just to minister to someone else. <clears throat> Forgive me, I'll, I'll be talking for quite a while. It's 1047, so I know we go till one, right? <laughs> All heroes of the faith had a moment with God. They had a moment to go. They had a moment, an encounter that defined their lives that would set them on a path to do something significant for God. Let's look at a few of those just for a moment. Does anybody recall a man by the name of Abram? Can I get some water, coffee? Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to cough. It's going to be loud and obnoxious. It's horrible, right? A man by the name of Abram was told to go from his place of habitation to a new place of covenant. Now, if you have your Bible, you could turn to Genesis 12. You can put your finger there because we're going to return to that in just a moment. In Genesis 12, Abram had this call from God, and he at that time was a pagan. You know what a pagan is? Someone who was not serving God someone who didn't have a relationship with God. And this is a defining moment in all of history 
of where someone was set on a path to follow the one true living God. And this living God, we find in the Old Testament, often called by the name Jehovah, reached out to Abram and said, I'm calling you to a new place, to a new people, to a place that's unknown. We're going to return there in just a moment. So if you have your Bible, hold Genesis 12. In Hebrews 11:8, further on in the Bible, in the New Testament, we find these declarations that, hey, I get water and coffee. Fantastic. What else can we get? Donuts. We got donuts. In Hebrews 11:8, it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. How many of us would be willing to obey and go to a new place where we don't know where we are going? As I look across this room and I can't see anyone's faces, I can tell you that there's many of us that God has called us to take a step into a new season of life, but we don't know what that looks like. You know, maybe you are in a valley situation at this time. Maybe you're in a place where life seems to be just beating you down and things are really difficult. But God is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to put your faith in me. I want you to take a step and build a relationship with me, even though you don't know what that looks like. And then some of us, as Brian was saying, are on the mountaintop and you feel like everything's going great. But even on the mountaintops, God wants us to connect with him, to commune with him, to have a relationship with him, and even trust him to go sometimes down into the valley to help someone out that's been there and needs some relationship, needs some hope, needs some love to help bring them from where they are to their next season in life. This was Abram, and later on he became named Abraham. We also have this guy named David. Anybody remember David? And what do you remember about David? He lost his ID and now his name is Dave. King Dave. (laughs) King Dave was not always just King Dave. He used to be little Dave, maybe Davy. And this young man was nothing really special, to be honest, at the time. But he was anointed. He was called by God to do something significant. He was called to be king of Israel. What's interesting, though, is at that moment, there was an anointing that took place over this young man named David, but he didn't all of a sudden step into being that king, did he? There was a period of time where there was waiting, there was trial, there was testing, there was growth, there was maturity. Now, David, if you remember, was going to bring some food and some refreshments to his brothers who were in the battle against the Philistines. And this giant named Goliath was taunting Israel. Now we're not going to go deep into the story, but David was moved with a righteous indignation to go and to battle this giant. Have you ever been moved by a righteous indignation? Have you ever been moved by this overwhelming need to see justice served? I have. Now, whether you acted upon that or not, you know, I don't know what that may look like for you, 
But there's been times where I just get so angry, righteously angry about the injustice that I see that I got to get up and do something. So David was moved with righteous indignation. We also see the disciples were instructed to go out and to see their faith in action. In Mark 6, we see Jesus sending out 12 disciples. But then in Luke 10, we see Jesus sending out 72 disciples, sending them out two by two. Why? So they could see their faith in action. And this is where they came back to Jesus and said, even those demons had to go and leave in the name and the authority that you've given us. Even those who were sick were healed. So the disciples were instructed to see their faith in action. We also see Jesus, how he obediently humbled himself to go to the cross, just as a lamb to the slaughter. We see the apostle, well, he wasn't an apostle yet, but we see this persecutor named Saul, who had this blindsided moment of revelation where God took his eyesight away and had this incredible revelation of who the Messiah was. And then he became not the persecutor of the church, but he became the super apostle named Paul. We also see that the followers of Christ, this is you and me, were commissioned to take the good news of Jesus, both here and to the ends of the earth. And we find this many times over and over, but in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, 15 and Luke 24, as well as John 20, 21. And then and then the capstone one that I love is Acts 1.8, where he promises that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now you can see that there's all these different pivotal, monumental moments in people's lives where they have this encounter with God that sets them on a path to go for the Lord. Have you had one of those moments? Have you had Jesus appear to you and, and blind you? Have you had a righteous indignation, this sense of justice that wells up inside of you? Have you had compassion overwhelm you to the point where you just can't help yourself, but you tend to weep? I'm not a very emotional person, but there's been times where I've been so moved with compassion that I just can't stop weeping over a situation. My wife doesn't cry at all. I think she's cried twice in our marriage not because of me. <laughs> but there's these moments that we all must face at some point. But let me give you just kind of a caveat. It doesn't have to be something epic. It doesn't have to be something that just marks you for all of eternity. It could just be the Lord saying, hey, Brian, would you go do that for me? And then he waits for your response. We can see that each go was different for these different heroes of the faith. Each go for us would be unique and different. Whether it's big or small, simple or complex, God wants us to obey when he tells us to go. Over and over throughout the scripture, we see that the Lord gives us instructions to walk out our faith. He gives us instructions to take new steps so that we can go deeper in our relationship with him. And sometimes that's serving others. Sometimes that's just praying for others. Sometimes that's waking up a little bit earlier so you can spend time in the word. Sometimes it's you uh, taking your lunch break and not eating, but fasting and spending that time praying and interceding 
for those who are lost or interceding for what's happening in the world. Sometimes these things require a massive life change, but other are just temporary. They're just momentary instances where you say, yeah, I think I could do that, Lord. I can do that. So we find that obedience to go really is an activation of faith. Now, I remember what, uh, when the Lord called me to go to the nations, I didn't know what that meant. In fact, uh, there's been four specific occasions that Anna and I prayed uh, very intently about moving to another nation, moving and serving on the field, whether it was Kenya, South Africa, India. Um, There's been different times where we had to pray and say, Lord, are you asking us to go and give our lives at that specific location? And uh, I was kind of excited, kind of dreading what the answer might be, but the answer was always no. Lord said, no, I haven't asked you to go serve there. I've asked you to stay here to serve the nations. So sometimes for us, what we fear is that God's going to say, you know, I want you to go serve in the village in Africa. I want you to go to a a village called Mafeking, South Africa. That's where uh, Billy and Lindy live for about 20 years. And you won't have electricity. You won't have running water. uh, You won't have shoes. Uh, I think Jesse's just now learning how to wear shoes. I'm kidding, but most of the time he doesn't wear shoes. You think that's a joke, but you fear that God's going to send you somewhere wild and crazy. But in fact, he just wants you to say, yeah, I'll do something for you. Now, I know you serve in Mexico and Dominican Republic and and other nations. And uh, soon Joshua nations are going to start hosting teams again as the world is lightening up some of the restrictions on travel. Um, And so maybe God will ask you to go somewhere and do something like that. But maybe it's getting involved in a home group. Maybe it's serving your community. Maybe it's actually rolling down your window when you see the person that's begging on the side of the road. And rather than turning the other way, you hand something out the window to them so that they could have some food. They could have a bottle of water so that they could have something that would just be a blessing. Uh, Oftentimes we keep little, uh, well, they're not little, like gallon-sized Ziploc bags filled with with like food and uh, non-perishable things, a bottle of water, a little bit of sanitizer, some soap, and we'll keep those in our van. And uh, when we go to Target, that's down there on on Kipling, you know, like the homeless Mecca, the southern part of Arvada. Anybody know that? Or do y'all not venture down that far? Is that too far? Is that scary land there? Well, we kind of live down that way, so... But we go over there and, you know, there's dozens of homeless people everywhere. And often we'll empty out our van handing those things out. Now, did we drag them to church? No. Did we we give them all a Bible? No. Did we we have to, like, make them come forward at an altar, get down on their knees and repent and shout and cry? No. We're just extending the love of Christ by loving people. And sometimes it's just the little things like that that'll start changing something inside of you. I'm so blessed by my son, Judah, who has a compassionate heart for those who are hurting and lost. Oftentimes we'll be driving around and he'll see someone and he'll tell me or Anna, he said, can, can, we, can we do something for them? It's like, well, we don't have any money. He's like, I got money at home. Can we run home and get money? I was like, oh, it's very inconvenient, Judah. <laughs> it's so inconvenient of you to love people. And uh, as long as we are able to do that, we will. We'll, we'll go back home. And then 
He will go and order the food for them. We'll get them a big Jimmy John sandwich. Uh, there's been times we've taken blankets to people off of our couch for people who are cold. And then he will get out. We won't patch the window. He'll get out, take it over, and he'll take it to them and even pray for them. I wish I was compassionate like that, but I'm not. But when I see that happen, it seeds compassion in me. So let me ask you, going back to the beginning, what does it take to go? Is it a promise of a blessing, a covenant? Are you moved with a righteous indignation, compelled by the power of Christ to see your faith activated? Is it a compassion for the lost, a revelation from the Lord? What is it that will move you to do something for God? Now let's turn back to Genesis 12. We'll look at verses 1 through 3 just for a moment. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, as I look at this passage, just allow me to, to break that down for a moment. And, and I'm much beyond my introduction. I don't know how Pastor Scott preaches, but sometimes you get a guest speaker and they preach for 40 minutes like, okay, my introduction's complete. Let's move on. You ever had that happen? Oh, you don't have a Pentecostal background, do you? I grew up in a Pentecostal church and uh, some of them were wild. Some of them had streamers and people running and I was like, wow, what's that all about? Even growing up in there, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But one thing I did learn is I could sit and listen to sermons for two hours, three hours, or so on. I remember when I was in Cuba, uh, one time I was given the service at a Wednesday night service. I was finally given the microphone at 11 o'clock at night. Well, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, so don't worry. And I said, how long should I go? I said, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And they said, oh no, anything less than an hour would be offensive. I said, what? And I said, yeah, if you preach less than an hour, it's like you haven't really like, given your heart to them. I was like, okay. So we ended at one. That's two hours. Are you ready? I'm kidding. So as we look at Genesis 12, it says that Abram was called by God. And he was called to go from his current place to somewhere that I will show you. So keep this in your mind. If you're taking notes, if you're typing on your phone, if you're posting on Facebook and not listening, whatever you're doing, think about this. God says, I will show you. Not I have shown you, but I will. So that means that there's a step of faith before I will show you what you're heading towards. The second thing he says is, I will make you into a great nation. So there is a promise that happens as you begin to activate your faith. A lot of times we want to see the promise, we want to see the fulfillment before we take that step of faith. But for some reason, our relationship with God doesn't work that way. He wants us to say yes to him, and then those blessings, those promises come. The third thing I see is God says, I will bless you. How many of you want to be blessed? Four of you. <laughs> now, I, I know, Brian, you said last week was a little bit flat. Is today better? Or mildly better. 
What does it take for you guys to say, I want God's blessings? Look, I'm not Joel Osteen. Yay, I have a nice beard. (laughs) He doesn't. I'll leave it at that. We need the blessing of God in our life. But in order to receive God's blessing, we have to pursue him and relationship with him. It's not about pursuing the blessing. It's about pursuing God. The fourth thing I see is God says, I will make your name great. And what does that mean to us? In other words, you will receive favor. How many of you want favor? Okay, there's a few more. You're waking up. Thank God. Are y'all sad because the Broncos are horrible? You're awake now. All right. You will receive favor. We're praying that the Broncos will receive favor and make some good decisions right now, right? We need a quarterback. We need new ownership. We need a lot of things. They're a dumpster fire. But I want God's favor. Number five, you will be a blessing. Wait a minute. So first we get a promise of blessing, and then we see that we become the blessing. I don't know about you, but I like to be the one giving the blessings. Now, I I definitely like to receive, but if I'm able to give blessings, that means that God's already blessed me. Does that make sense? And this happens as we pursue him and we take steps of faith. So there's many years where I was like, man, Lord, we need breakthrough. We need financial resources. We're, we're in a bit of trouble. And now I'm so grateful that we're in a position that we are able to be a blessing. Of course, there's times where we have need. There's times where we need to raise more money. There's times where things in our house decide to break while we're traveling and like our ceilings collapsing with water damage. And I'm like, man, this is horrible. But I'm so grateful still in the midst of those things, we're still able to be a blessing. We also see in this passage that your name and your reputation will be protected. Now, how many of you have a good name and a good reputation? Oh, no. uh, One. Right there in the middle. Anyone else? Everyone else's name and reputation is mud, right? We need to have this name and reputation that we carry because we are ambassadors of the king. We are the carriers of the good news. And if we don't have a good reputation, then man, how are we able to represent the Lord to anybody? Have you ever unpacked a scripture and gotten this much stuff out of it? This is a great passage. We also see that God says, I will be your righteousness. And you're probably thinking, where do you see that? But he says that he will stand up for Abraham. When God is your righteousness, that means that he puts things in order. He puts justice in place. He protects you. And he makes sure that when someone comes against you, he raises up that which is a a standard, a defense, and that he will stand for you because you have chosen to stand for him. Now, I'm not just talking about standing up for what's right or wrong. I'm not talking about you keyboard warriors on Facebook who make political posts, which I'm guilty of periodically. But I'm talking about standing up for the truth of who Jesus is and that in this world we need a Savior and that only can come through relationship through Jesus. 
It's not about any kind of politics. It's not about any kind of works. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to find favor, relationship, blessing, or salvation except through Jesus Christ. And as we conclude that particular part of Genesis 12, we see that all people will be blessed. Now, if you carry on with the story of Abraham, we find in Genesis 15, God says, I will be your shield and your great reward. And then in James chapter 2, verse 23, he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him as righteousness. And he was called what? The friend of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be called the friend of God. I want to be known as God's friend, not just someone who says, yeah, I went to church. How many churchgoers do we have? But how many friends of God do we have? I want to be God's friend. I want to be accounted to be righteous because of my relationship with God. So as we look at this phase, this process of going in obedience, we find three phases. The first one is that call or the promise. And a lot of times we we hear that call from God, but we stop there. We think, wow, God's called me to do something great. But then the second part is where you and God come into a covenant relationship. And he also gives you the conditions of what must take place. See, God didn't just say, Abraham, I'm going to do something great with you. And then he sat down and, and he did nothing. In fact, he said, you got to leave your family. You got to leave the place that's comfortable. You got to go somewhere new and obey me and do whatever I tell you to do. And then the last part is the fulfillment. And that's where we all get really excited. Unfortunately for us, sometimes the fulfillment of those promises takes a lifetime. Sometimes it takes 25 years. When God spoke to Abram, he was 74, 75 years old. And we find that at age 99, he's contending with God, still waiting on the fulfillment of that promise. And so it wasn't until 99, 100 years old that he and his wife, Sarah, were able to see the birth of their son. A lot of times we give up on the promises of God because we are too impatient. A lot of times we give up because we think, well, I've done all that I feel comfortable doing and I don't feel like doing anymore. God's asking me to do this, but you know what? I think I'd rather just stay home. I I just like to stay in my current position rather than step out in faith. And whether that's sharing your faith with a coworker going on a short-term trip, serving the inner city, the homeless, giving a smile to someone. Everybody smile. A few of you did. I don't know about you guys over here. Smile. Just share the love of Christ with someone. Just get out of your comfort zone and allow Jesus to work through you. A friend of mine who's also been a spiritual mentor, um, a man who I served with before joining with uh, Dr. Russ Fraze, a man by the name of David Shibley. He has, he has a, list, a list of 10 reasons of why we should go. And let me share this with you as I begin to uh, wrap up our time together this morning. This list of 10 reasons why we go, I, I, I keep this in the back of my mind almost all the time because it, it's something that helps drive me and lead me to respond to the Lord. The first is, Jesus is worthy. We go because he's worthy. 
We go because the Father is longing to be reconciled with the nations. God is longing to be reconciled with Russia and Ukraine. We go because the Holy Spirit is moving, and and this is something that Joshua Nation is all about. We see where the Holy Spirit is moving, and then we go join in with him. Some people say, how has Joshua Nation's done so much in just about 10, 15 years of time? And it's because we just see where the Holy Spirit is moving, and then we go join with the Holy Spirit. We don't try to do things in our own strength. We go because there is a harvest that needs to be brought in. We go because people are lost. We go because the nations are deserving. We go because the church, that is you and me, we are commissioned by Jesus to go. This one's hard. The next one's hard. We go because we must give an account of our lives. At the end of my life, I don't want to have this face-to-face conversation with God and say, you know what? I just didn't want to. I was too comfortable. He says, but, but, but why didn't you just serve the people that were closest to you? I was like, oh, I didn't want to. We are accountable for our actions and our inaction. We go because the promises of God. And we go because we have a destiny. I keep this in my mind and my heart all the time because it helps push me towards the reason I said yes to God. Oswald J. Smith, he said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once? And what is that gospel? It's the good news of Jesus. And I want to extend a special thank you to Novation for being those who have said yes to go. And you go in so many different ways by expressing the love of Jesus through support, through prayer, and your own participation. But now, not as a church, I want to shift just for a moment as I conclude, is that you would say, well, it's not just about Novation being a strong partner with Joshua Nations, serving missionaries, helping support different works all around the world, but it's about me and my responsibility for what Jesus has asked me to do. Now, if I was teaching a Sunday school class or, or lecturing in a, in a Bible school, I'd say, everybody hold up a finger and then point it right at your heart. Say, it's all about me right now. This is the moment where you need to selfishly apply this to yourself. What is your response to the good news of Jesus? And what is your response to take that good news beyond yourself into the world? As we look at the events in Ukraine and Russia, as we look at China and Taiwan, as we look at all the different turmoil that's taking place even in the Middle East, we can, we can get a little bit overwhelmed. We can say, you know what? The best thing for me to do is just to get on my knees and pray. The best thing for me to do is to send money and to support. The best thing for me to do is just to stay right here and to keep my family safe. And all of those things are good. And all of those things are appropriate. But there's a time where God says, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. And whatever that comfort zone and whatever that step looks like, today's a day where you need to say, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'll say yes. I will do what you ask me to do, no matter how big or how small. 
I love a particular quote from one of my favorite books, and I love the books better than the movie, but from Lord of the Rings. Is anybody a Lord of the Rings fan? All right, yeah, four of you, you know. We're going to have to work on this. We're going to have a meeting afterwards. You know, maybe we need to pass out some coffee. Maybe we need to pump some oxygen into the room. I don't know. But it's an exchange that happens between Frodo and Gandalf. And uh, Frodo is saying, uh, you know, how, how difficult things were. And he, he makes this statement. And if you remember the movie, it's kind of, it's, it's somewhere where uh, Frodo and Gandalf and the whole gang, they're in the mines of Moria. And Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Talking about the perilous events that they're facing. And I'm thinking about us today, looking at the world and the news. I wish it wasn't happening in my time. And then Gandalf responds, he says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And it's so powerful. This is where we are. We have to decide what to do with our time, with our life, with our response. As we have this good book that explains who the savior of humanity is the one who can reconcile us to God, who can absolve us of all of our sin, all of our past and all the difficulties, who can bring peace in the midst of war and conflict. We have to decide what we will do. So let me ask you then, where, when, how? But instead of beginning with that, that now becomes our response saying right here, Right now and in faith, I will say yes to God. I'll no longer question him and say, well, maybe one day, maybe sometime. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do. But now it's yes, I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it now, whenever. Here, now, there, somewhere else. And that's what it means to say yes to the Lord. To say, I will go. I will respond in faith. I will obey. One concluding thought. When we read about the heroes in the faith, or maybe you think about your pastors or other people, I think about Russ, and uh, I think, you know, what set them apart from the rest of us? I feel like I'm just an average guy, and I think, how could I be like that? How could I be someone special, a hero of the faith? You know, we're not writing any more books of the Bible, but how could I be considered one of those kinds of people? And it really comes down to one thing. It's just the obedience to go when God tells you to go. The obedience to say yes when he says yes. The obedience to activate your faith and to move forward with whatever God has asked you to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You have given us clear instruction to extend our faith, to deepen our relationship with you in new ways, to be challenged by the good news of Jesus, not only for us to have a personal relationship with you, but also to take the gospel message of Jesus into the world. We know that it starts right here, that we have opportunity every day even as we go from here, whether we go back home or to somewhere to have lunch, we have opportunities to share Jesus. And Lord, we say yes, we say now, and we say we will go and we'll do it in faith.
Lord, I pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit, each one of us would be compelled at those moments that we would feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit. We would feel your leading. And that when we do, you would fill our mouths with the words that you would have us to say. So today we, as a church, as a body, as followers of you, together we say yes. We say yes. We will go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And together everyone says, amen.